Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. There's a few of our foreign missions that we support, international missions. We saw three last week uh, that were local. It is, as I've mentioned, it's a month, September, where we focus on some of our mission efforts. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, but before I get to these that we just saw, we've got one right in front of our face with the things that have been happening down south, these crises that occur. And oftentimes people ask, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we doing something as a church? And I want to let you know that we are working on partnering with some uh, churches, perhaps a church or two in Texas. Maybe now we're going to try to get a hold of uh, someone in Florida and connect with a church to plan something in the coming months. Right now, there's many first responder organizations on the ground. They're reporting, especially in Texas, and we've talked to some people that are in Texas and some that are right at churches. They have an overabundance of many things, water and food and even clothes. And having a lot of water bottles is a good thing, but sometimes it doesn't meet immediate needs such as housing if somebody needs that. So there's many organizations that have their feet on the ground, their first responders, they're excellent and reputable uh, missions like the Samaritan's Purse. If you wanted to do something immediately, they're reputable. It'd be a great, great ministry to support because they are there, they're mobilized, they know what they're doing, they're experienced. What we want to do is be able to maybe touch a church. And you know as... Time goes on. In a few weeks, you know what the media is going to be doing. They're going to be talking about some political scandal or something. If there's not another big weather crisis, and Harvey and Irma are going to be memories pretty quick, yet the needs will be there. When we went down to Louisiana to help after Katrina, it was over a year after that occurred, and yet the devastation was still there, and people still needed help. So we want to plan something in the coming months, maybe towards the Christmas season, to be able to go to uh, some churches and meet some needs, get specific needs. So I wanted to let you know that and let you know that we'll be talking about it in the weeks coming in terms of who we're connecting with and what our particular plans are going to be because the needs are going to continue to be there. This morning we saw in our video three of our international missionaries that we support. We saw uh, Chi, Che, C-H-E, Dr. Chris and Jane Plakas. We're going to hear about their mission this Wednesday. They're not going to be here, but Todd Carley, who is uh, very, very, uh, his heart is in that mission. And he's been to Uganda. He's going to be talking about Chi. He's going to be giving us an update on the ministry. We're also going to be hearing from Sharon Hester and Bob Reed from Basket of Hope uh, from Kenya. And they do a great work there. We're going to uh, get an update from them, find out what's new happening. And by the way, we have food. We had a great night this past Wednesday. This Wednesday is an international night, so we're going to have some international cuisine. It's Italian night. So if you come out Wednesday, come out early about 6.30, 
uh, into the dining room, have a little food, and then we're going to have our Wednesday evening uh, updates on the missions. And we look forward to it. Next Sunday, we are going to be having a treat because one of the foreign missions that we support, OSI, Operation Serve International, Dr. Sama uh, Sadek and his wife Connie are going to be here, and Dr. Sama is going to speak to us. And he was excellent the last time he was here. I mean, he was excellent. Next week, invite someone to be here. He's got something to say. They have a mission in Egypt and Mexico. And Sama, I'm sure, will be telling us some of the things uh, that have occurred in Egypt. It's been, you know, wild there. And he's not just going to be coming with a plea for his mission. He's got something to say from the Word of God. So really, I invite you. He did such a wonderful job the last time he was here. So invite someone else. As we move through our mission month, we want to keep it in front of you. What it means to be a missionary. What it means is we've put up on our, on our screen, reach neighborhoods and reach the world. Last week, we heard from Reverend Barry Allen. He talked to us about relationships. And he said this. He said, Jesus was a master with relationships, with all kinds of people and all kinds of settings. Reverend Barry said he was able to impact lives. And that's true. And then he went on to say that the Bible emphasizes relationship, and it does. All kinds of relationships. We weren't created to be islands. We were created to be in relationship with others. When God saw man alone, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And he created relationships. And, of course, the, the husband and wife relationship when God created Eve for Adam, that was a special relationship, but... There are still many examples, biblical examples, examples we know that are real, great friends and family relationships, even sometimes casual relationships where you're getting just to know somebody. These are all exemplified in the Word of God. The Bible has examples of every kind of relationship possible, from the casual to the deepest of bonds. And we heard last week that relationships should be guided by the greatest of the commandments. And so we heard the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the first, the greatest commandment. And it was Jesus speaking and he said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandments greater than these. That was what Jesus said. So we heard relationships based on that kind of love. They're the ones that are going to thrive. And the missions that we support, they heed these words of the Lord. The local missions we highlighted last week, the foreign or international missions that we heard about today, Che in Uganda, and uh, Commission to Every Nation, where we support Caesar and Nancy Cortez in Ecuador and the great work they do, and Basket of Hope in Kenya, all the hard work in the Tanner River region. They build relationships. They are building relationships such that people can have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. 
That's their goal. That's their aim. They are relationship builders. And we were encouraged last week to be relationship builders. And so Reverend Allen said, be more aware of others. And he showed us that great little video where here there was two basketball teams and some, some bear comes out there and is dancing. Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed the dancing bear. I shouldn't say nobody. I know a couple of you raised your hands. But the overwhelming majority missed it. And the point was, sometimes we're so focused, it's easy to miss and we might overlook people. All of the missions that we support, they give us opportunities to be relationship builders, to not overlook people. In the efforts that they make to build relationships, we know that the relationship has to start. It has to have a beginning. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. How does a relationship begin? What is the start of a relationship? Even though our missionaries give us opportunities, we can go on short-term mission trips on these international missions that we support, the local missions, we can volunteer, we can be a part of them, we can serve with them. But we have opportunities every single day of our lives to be relationship builders. And how does a relationship start, a relationship where we can share all the wonderful, wonderful things that Jesus Christ has to offer. How does it begin? Typically, it'll just, it'll begin with a conversation. That, that'll be how most relationships begin. And I want to look at a conversation, and I take some observation from it, and it's an observation of a conversation that Jesus had. We heard last week, he's the master. So let's consider, let's consider the master of relationship, Jesus. Yeah, he had conversations with so many. But there's one in particular in John chapter 4. We got a lot of detail. So I want to I read the entire thing. It's John chapter 4, almost the entire chapter. Jesus meets a woman. And he has a great conversation with her. And I want to read it and then just take some time to look at, look at it, observe some things that Jesus did, and say, can we apply these in our own lives? Can we make application in our life to be able to share the gospel? Talk about what Jesus did. So John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their, made their way toward him. Now there's a little meanwhile in verse 31, and Jesus talks to his disciples for a while. I'm going to pick it up in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is a great model for us. This conversation, two strangers, two strangers who had never crossed paths before, They come together and a conversation begins. And then not just that one person, not that one, but many lives are changed. And that's the great thing about this this one little conversation turned into a great, great harvest. And many people's lives were changed and their souls were saved. And there are some things that we can observe in this conversation. And I just want to point out some of them and encourage you all we can, we can do this. We can be uh, like Jesus. We can follow his example. There are some things we can observe in this encounter and then just put them into practice in our lives. And the first observation I make is this. Jesus, he was intentional. He took the road less traveled. He broke away from what was generally practiced. 
the lay of the land was this. Judea in the south. And Jesus was in Judea. He was getting picked on. The, the Jews weren't happy with him. He was going to leave. Samaria was in the center. He was going to Galilee in the north. And the easiest way to get to Galilee is straight through Samaria. But it wasn't the only way. And many of the Jews would think it was no way at all. They were never going to go through Samaria. There was a road, a road to the east that went around Samaria. And many of the Jews, for them, that was the only way to go. We're going to go east, we're going to go around Samaria. Why avoid Samaria? What was, what was that all about? Well, we read in the passage, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We also read that Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. So that's interesting. He had to? Well, he didn't really have to. He could have went around. But Jesus intended to go through Samaria. He was intentional. Now, we could speculate about why Jesus didn't go east, and that would just be speculation. But what do we know for sure? We know for sure that Jesus intentionally went straight through. He went up into Samaria. He chose the road to Galilee that took him through a place where the Jews would normally not go. And it meant going into an area where there was racial tension. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds. They weren't true Jews. And there was animosity between these two people. But Jesus said, that's the way I'm going. He had to go, even though there might be repercussions. Now, sometimes we need to be intentional and go to a place we don't really want to go. Now, it might be something as simple as, you're a student, and, and it's taking a different door into school. Well, you know those students at that door, they're going to pick on you because you're a Christian. You know, you're marked. They think you're weird. So you're not going through that door. But perhaps you need to start a conversation with somebody that needs to hear about Jesus. You know, it might be parking in a different place at, at work. I used to work in a really big building. But I always took the same way, parked in the same place, walked through the same tunnel, up the same stairway, passed the same guys into the same, into the same department. Sometimes we need to break the mold. You know, maybe you've got to walk through the marketing department. No, I don't want to walk through the marketing department. It's all those creative types. I don't know what to say to them. No, go walk a different way, park in a different place. You might meet someone new who needs to hear about Jesus. Perhaps you walk in your neighborhood, walk by a certain street, walk by it, not going down it. There's people on there, people in, in that street, they're different. They look different. They sound different. They talk different. Maybe it's time to go down that street. You know, we drive by certain neighborhoods. We won't stop in certain gas stations, go to certain uh, convenience stores because people are different. They look different. Maybe we should be intentional like Jesus was. Sometimes our routines are set so much that we don't really allow for opportunity for meeting new people until we get intentional to go a new way, a different way, where we're bound to meet somebody new and engage a new person. Even if that person looks different, talks different, that's what Jesus did. Intentionally, he went a different route. 
He knew he might encounter people. He knew there might even be tension. And there were tensions. Yet he went. Yet he went. Second observation. When Jesus arrived, he was tired. He said he was tired from his journey and he sat down. Jesus had walked miles. It was about noon. It's the heat of the day, the prime heat of the day. He sat down. He's weary. He's hot. He's thirsty. Now, this is a great excuse. He could have used this as an excuse. I'm not, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm hot, tired, thirsty, and crabby. I'm not dealing with people. You know, but he didn't. Again, the purpose, the intention comes out. Though he was tired, hot, he initiates a conversation. He asked the woman for a drink. She was surprised. Not, why is this man talking to me? Not only she's a woman, it's not the custom for the man to be talking to the woman, but he's a Jew, and she spots him as a Jew. The way he looks, the way he's dressed, the accent in his voice. She knows immediately this guy's a Jew. It's all a dead giveaway. But the, and, and the woman, she verbalizes her surprise. Well, what are you? You're, you're a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Really? This is unheard of. Jews considered the Samaritans unclean. Now, Jesus could have simply said, I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah, just give me a drink. And leave it at that. But he didn't. He didn't let his hunger, he didn't let his thirst, he didn't let his weariness hinder his mission. He engaged the woman with purpose. He overlooked his, his physical needs. Uh, denied himself. Now, sometimes we're weary, we're hot, we're thirsty, we're crabby. We don't want to talk to anybody. We have needs of our own to be met. But when we think like that, we just might miss an opportunity to share Christ, even in the smallest ways. And I had this happen to me once. Uh, I needed a part for my car. I needed the brain. I had this car, it was giving me trouble, and I Went through, a, went through a series of issues with it, and finally, a mechanic told me, it's the brain. You know, I, to, I need this engine control module. Well, I was kind of fed up. I was going to go to the junkyard. The short story is, I went to the junkyard, got the brain, fixed the car, drove perfect after that. But the details are this. I like to tinker, so I went up to, uh, I went up to 8 Mile and Hoover Parts Galore, where you can walk into that junkyard and peel your own parts off a car. I like that. Now, when I go, I know this, because I've been there more than once. I bring my tools, because it's a pick-your-own. I've got to find my car, find my part, peel it off. Well, I bring my tools, but a lot of people don't. And every time I go, somebody's pestering me for a tool. Hey, can I borrow your wrench? Can I borrow this? Can I, you got a hammer? Ah, you know, oh, you know, I've lost tools. People have taken my tools. Now, it was a hot day. I had my tools, and I set in my mind, I'm going there, I'm keeping my head down, I'm looking down, I'm not going to engage anybody because these people want my tools, and I know it. And that's exactly what I did. I went down, I went to, I needed, it was a Dodge. I went to the Dodge area. I had to get a specific car. I spotted it. It was down at the end of an aisle. I'm going there. I got there, perfect. Guy in the next row underneath the car 
It was a Dodge Dynasty, I remember. I call him a Dynasty. Uh, he was under his car, sure enough. Hey, I don't, I'm, I'm not hearing this guy. I'm not going to hear him. I'm working on my car. Mine's easy. I know two fasteners. That brain's coming out. One plug. Hey, you. Ah, yes. He says, do you have a hacksaw? Well, that's easy. No, I don't have a hacksaw. I didn't bring a hacksaw. I knew what I needed. I didn't bring. No, I don't have a hacksaw. Ah, oh, he's, he's depressed. I felt guilty. I felt guilty. I turned around to get this thing out of this car I'm working on. I had a hacksaw blade in the bottom of my little box. Well, hacksaw blades, you know, what does that cost? I'm going to give it to the guy and get on my way. Right? So I said, hey, I got this blade. I gave him the blade and went back to my, went to back to my car, pulled my piece off. I'm going to leave. There's that guy underneath that car. He's sawing away one hand on this. He's sweating. It's hot. And he had engaged me. And I'll just say we were different. He was an African-American guy. And he had no problem talking to me. I certainly had no problem talking to him. But I wanted to go home, fix my car. But there he was, sawing away. So I stopped. And my attitude was bad, and I'll admit it. I'd gone in there with the attitude I wasn't going to talk to anybody, but I thought I should change my attitude. So I said, hey, you need a little hand? He said, yeah, he's under there sweating. He's getting a whole front end. He needs, he needs a control arm, a spindle, a hub, and, and the one main, one-inch diameter bolt fastener wasn't coming. So I had a rag, too. I wrapped a rag around that hacksaw, and I start cutting with him, and we start talking. He'd cut a little, I'd cut a little, we start talking, finally cut that thing off, and he had probably 50 pounds of tools in a bag, and now he's got about 100 pounds of car parts. I said, hey, wh wh what's wrong with your car? He said, you know, it was parked in front of my house, somebody smashed into it. I said, well, how'd you get here? He said, I rode my bike. This guy was probably 15 years older than me. I'd found he was a Vietnam veteran. He said, my car's beautiful. It's rust-free. I keep it well. Somebody just crashed it in front of my house. I said, you rode your bike here? You got 200 pounds. So you're putting on your backpack here. <laughs> he says, yeah, I know. I said, I'll give you a ride home. So we go outside. His bike's got a flat tire. <laughs> so I was, threw it in my car, threw his parts in. I said, where do you live? He said, I live over at Mac and St. Jean. Okay. Now there's a neighborhood I don't often go to. <laughs> but I'm going to take him over to his street. And we start to talk. And you know what? An opportunity came up for me to talk to this man a little bit about the Lord. Ask him about his church. Tell him a little bit about what I do. Gave him my card. Invited him to church. My whole attitude changed. I had gone in with a bad attitude, a poor attitude. And here, this guy who reached out to me, he opened up the conversation with me with a need. I didn't want to meet his need. But I'm glad I felt the little pang, the little pull, and I was able to talk to him. Left him at his house, told him I'd pray with, with him and pray for him, and 
When I arrived here at church on Sunday, I had a beautiful message on my phone of this man calling me and thanking me. So I was glad I changed my attitude. We might miss an opportunity to share Christ even in the smallest ways when we're hot and we're irritated and we don't want to deal with someone. Let's try to deal with them, though. Third observation. Jesus opened the conversation. He found common ground with this woman. Water, simple thing. It's a necessity for life. It's a necessity they both needed. Now, no doubt it was this woman's daily routine to go down to the well, drop her water. Now, she had issues in her life, which Jesus knew about. She seemed to be making time to go out there when nobody else was there. But Jesus opens up the conversation with this mutual need, water. Do you struggle to open a conversation with someone? You know, there are so many ways you can do it. Common ground is easy to find. You know, if you're a student, you can just, hey, where'd you get that backpack? I mean, all your friends are wearing backpacks. Where'd you get that backpack? Can, can I ask you about that? You know, you're walking in the neighborhood, you see someone, hey, how do you keep your grass so green? It's just a question, a question to open up a conversation. I had one occur, I was on a boat coming from Fort Sumter. Visited down South Carolina earlier this year. I wanted to see Fort Sumter. Went out on a ferry boat. On the way back, guy sitting in front of me, couple, and the man said something about Michigan. That's all I heard was Michigan. So I tapped him on the back. Hey, easy question, really easy question. Where are you from? So he says, well, I'm from Michigan. I said, well, I thought so. I heard you say Michigan. I'm from Michigan too. Where are you from in Michigan? Well, now we've got a conversation going. He was from Marine City. I said, hey, we're practically neighbors. So we started talking. Where are you coming from? Florida, stayed there. Why are you coming back to Michigan? Got grandkids. Eh, we got to come back for all the grandkid things. You know, things like graduations, really. Some of your grandkids graduate. Where did they graduate from? Well, we had one graduate from Lance Cruz. Really, I said, you've been in my church. Really easy. Suddenly, it was able to turn. It was able to turn from the natural to the spiritual. Because we have graduations for Lance Cruz in this building. I said, you've been in my church. Really, he says. Your church? So we begin to talk. I invite him to church. This is on a boat coming from Fort Sumter. And a guy that I bump into is from my area. This is how easy it is. Yeah, easy. You look familiar. That's another great question. You can open up a conversation with somebody. And when Jesus opened up this conversation, he talked about natural water, and then he took it to the spiritual. That's the next observation. Jesus turned the conversation. He brought up natural water, turned it to living water, eternal water, eternal life, the living water that we need for our spirit and for our soul, the quenching that brings eternal life. And in so doing, Jesus did what? He pointed out some things to the woman. He pointed out her sin, but he didn't do it with castigation. He didn't do it with accusation. Gently, lovingly, he points out something in her life. And her repentance is obvious. It's not overt, it's not in tears, and it's not in sorrow, but it's in joy. 
She had come to see her sin and recognize it for what it was, and she saw that she was in the presence of Messiah, the Savior. And what did she do? She dropped her water pot. She left her water pot. She left what she had come for in the natural. So overjoyed was she, she went into town to share what? Share what she had learned spiritually. Now, you might protest here. Jesus had an advantage. He knows everything. He knew what this woman's problem was. So it's easy for him to point it out. And that's true. We're not Jesus. Okay, I can't meet somebody and I can't see their problem immediately. And neither can, can any of us. But we have this foreknowledge. We have this foreknowledge that there is none righteous. There is none righteous, not even one. That's what Paul wrote uh, to the Romans. He wrote it in Romans 3 and he was pulling from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 and he was quoting that there is not one righteous. But then Paul went on to write, in the New Testament, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know that? We know that. We don't need to know somebody's specific sin. We don't need to know all the things that they have done. What we do know is that they need a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. And there is not one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs what Jesus offers. Everyone needs that eternal water. You know, sure, Jesus knew that the woman's specific sin. We know all have sinned and all need Jesus. So don't let the fact that you don't know all there is to know about a person keep you from offering the person that you do know. And that's Jesus. Offer him. You can move from the spiritual or from the natural to the spiritual. You can. I'm reminded of a, I'm reminded of a story that Brother Joe Cadirio would tell Brother Joe used to be our missions director before he uh, passed, and he was a, a great storyteller. He told a story about him and Frank Harkins. Frank Harkins was an evangelist, and certainly Brother Joe was an evangelist, and uh, they, were on, they were on some kind of road trip once. And he said, Frank Harkins was always, always going from the natural to the spiritual. He said, we drive over a hill, and, and there's, there's some cows on the hill, and, and Frank Harkins would say, oh, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. You know, quoting from the Bible immediately. He said, one day we picked up some hitchhikers, two young men. They were hitchhiking. We picked them up, give them a ride. And he said, in a minute or two, Brother Frank reaches in his pocket and he pulls out some gum. He says, boys, would you like some gum? They took the gum. He said, after a minute or two, Brother Frank looks at the boys and says, is that gum good? You like that gum? They say, yeah, it's good gum. And he, he said, now Brother Frank was off and running. <laughs> Psalm 34. He said, boys, that's the way it is with the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, and that quick, he went from the natural to the spiritual. And I always loved that story. Joe, Joe loved to tell it. And it's one where it's an example for us. We can do this. And my final observation is this. The woman, it wasn't only her that was affected. She won many to Jesus. Many believed in Jesus because of the testimony of the woman. Many believed in her own town. They went out 
and they too had an encounter with Jesus. Now you might think that this lady's testimony is minimized. You might think that it gets, it gets kind of the side treatment because we read at the end of the passage, these people in town said, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We met him and he is truly the savior of the world. And does that discount her testimony? No. That's exactly the point. We don't share our testimony of the gospel. We don't share the story of Jesus Christ just to get someone to say they're sorry for their sins and to pray a prayer so we can get some credit. That's not what it's all about. No, the goal is that they begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we can affect that just by being a small part of it, then that's a great thing. Everyone can do that. Just as the people who heard from the woman and they went out to meet Jesus and they met him physically and they interacted with him, the same is possible today. Now that's hard to understand. You might be thinking, can I really have a, a relationship with Jesus? He's long gone. No, he sent his Holy Spirit and he will uh, share an encounter with each and every one of us and he'll live with us and he'll put his spirit in us and experience with Jesus is just as possible as it was back then. You know, we can be in his presence and it's real. And experiencing Jesus is beyond anything I can even describe. Anything I can say to someone to help them believe the truth about him. It, it, it's hard to, to tell someone the reality of it. But the best possible thing is that they do begin a relationship with him. And they do say, I don't believe just because of what you told me. I believe now because I met him. I met him. And he's real to me. And he's the savior of the world. And now I'm living with him. That's the best possible thing we could hear from, hear from somebody. Not, not, not giving us the credit. And that's what happened with this woman. That's what happened with this woman Jesus talked to. Through her, others came to have an authentic, real, genuine relationship with Christ. One person, one person touched so many. You don't know what's going to happen if you touch one person with the good news, even if it's a little thing, even if you just talk with them. Maybe you give them a ride and you share a little bit about your faith and that's it. You don't know what happens the next day. And the next day in their life, that little seed may become a big, big tree. You know, and it's not going to be success every time. Jesus had his fair share of rejection. He had a great success with this woman. But Jesus met a, a, a wealthy young man once. And that young man asked him about eternal life. And Jesus told him, keep the commandments, but sell all you have and give to the poor. And what happened with that wealthy young man? He walked away sad. Jesus didn't win him over. We don't need to be discouraged because we're thinking, well, I'm not going to get somebody to come to Christ. Jesus wasn't successful every time. But you know what? He engaged the woman and he engaged the wealthy young man too. And that's the example. We need to engage people. Jesus availed himself to both. One believed, one didn't. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. That shouldn't keep us from sharing Jesus. There's a man right down here, Steve Malik, and he'll tell you that part of his testimony is that he was in prison in California 
And a man came two hours, three hours, something like that, to share Christ. And it affected Steve's life. And that guy has no idea that Steve came back, turned his life over to Christ fully. He's a, now, years later, chaplain at Macomb County Jail. Uh, he's got a ministry where men and women, and he's one of the missions we support, Gateway to Glory. Here's a ministry where men and women are touched with the aim being Christ, Jesus. And that guy, that guy back in California has got no idea. One life can touch many others. We don't know. So we need to reach out whenever we can. We need to reach out and, and not pass up an opportunity. Or, or even better, do something that might result in an opportunity. Be intentional like Jesus was. Intentionally take a different path, a new road, even if it's a bit of a scary road, even if it's a neighborhood you don't normally go to. You're bound to meet someone new. And if you're tired and you're weary and you're thirsty and you're crabby, don't let that keep you from sharing Jesus. Initiate a conversation. Move it then from the natural to the spiritual. You don't know how many others might come into the kingdom because of it. You might think, oh, that's hard for me. There are so many people that do a better job. They can talk about Jesus so easily. This is hard for me. I don't, I'm uncomfortable starting a conversation. Listen, there might be others that can share the gospel better than you. There are others that can share the gospel better than me. But there is no one, there is no one that can share a better gospel than you. All right? I want to repeat that. Someone might be able to share the gospel better than you, but there's no one who can share a better gospel than you. You got the best gospel. You got the true gospel. You got the gospel of the living, loving Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. No one can share a better gospel than you. So let's be encouraged to get out there and share the good news and touch people's lives. It's part of the mission effort. It's part of what we're, we do when we support missions, but let's make it part of our own mission, our own personal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here in our church this morning. And this, your sanctuary. God, I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us by this, the word of God. Inspire us by the example of Jesus Christ. That we would step out of our areas of comfort and be intentional. And despite crabbiness or weariness, that we would engage people. God, your Holy Spirit can give us the words to say, and we trust you. Fill us when we need your power to share our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask these great things. We ask them in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, before you leave, don't get up and run. Don't get up and run. I want to say a few things about our picnic. If you're new here with us this, this morning, you're invited. We have hamburgers, hot dogs, chips, water. It's all complimentary. You can go out there and enjoy a good time with us. We'd love to get to know you. Straight out the boulevard, go to the left, you'll see the tent. It's set up. I'd love you all to come out. That's why we're all a little casual today, because we're going straight out to the picnic. And 
We've talked about conversations today. You know, if you don't know somebody, initiate a conversation. Why don't you ask a name? If you sit with the same group of people, or if you've planned a group, your Sunday class, maybe it's uh, the Stitch Chicks, I don't know, maybe it's the singles group. You know, we've got a lot of small groups around. If you're sitting together and you see someone, invite them into your circle. Hey, have a hamburger or a hot dog with us. Let's find someone new to share a name with and get to know. And of course, get involved in the activities. Julie and I, we've been practicing the three-legged race. All right? Now, this is a challenge. It's a challenge to any two of you. Any two. Father, daughter, mother, son, father, son, husband, wife. We're, gonna, we're taking you out. We're, we're cleaning your clock. Okay? That's a challenge. The three-legged race we're on. Okay? So we're going to be uh, ready for that. We have kickball, face painting, balloons for children. I'm going to be going in the dunk tank first. You want to raise some money for our local missions? You got to pay to throw the balls, though. But I want to tell you, maybe you might want to save your money because, you know, people like Arnold Jones are going to be in the dunk tank too. And uh, uh, Mr. Rob Susan, Skipper Bob, Skipper Bob Warfield to be in the tank. And Brother Steve Malik will be in the tank. And I know you might want to save a few bucks for those guys. Don't waste them all on me, okay? Uh, we're going to have a great time. We are going to have a great time. The Lord's blessed us with a great day. I am really thrilled to go out there. Uh, let's pray over all the food, over all the activity. Let's stay into our feet before we go. And let's go on a high note and go out there and really just enjoy each other. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the great blessing of the hands that are out there right now preparing food for us to enjoy. Thank you for the food. Bless it unto us, God. And bless our time together of friendship, Lord. May we get to know someone new. Widen our circles today. Broaden us, Lord. And Lord, we just pray you'd be in all our great activities. We're having fun. We're having a great time because you've blessed us, Lord. So beyond it all, we say thank you. Thank you, thank you for the great blessing we have in these grounds and in this church. Thank you for the fact that you have blessed us beyond what we could ask or think. We commit our day to you. We offer it, Lord, gratefully, gratefully. And we say thanks again in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. And I'll see you out there on the grounds.